Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, Pastor Jim will continue in the very long 14th chapter of the book of Mark. We're going to begin with verse 53 and work through verse 65. Now, Mark has been building up to the crucifixion of Jesus ever since he entered Jerusalem near the beginning of the week, which began back in chapter 10. Now, we have spent several weeks digging into what Mark has provided for us here in God's Word. Last week, we looked at the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. The disciples, despite some very strong words, proved to be weak and failed miserably, ultimately scattering when Jesus was arrested during the night. Our passage this week describes the trial, or trials, that Jesus then endured before he was condemned to die. It's a mockery of a trial which ended up following a mob's emotions and the machinations of the Jewish leaders instead of any kind of real justice. Incredibly, the man in authority who ultimately sentenced Jesus to die on the cross first declared that he could find no fault with Jesus. And of course he couldn't, because Jesus was the only man who ever walked the earth who was entirely without sin. In our passage this week, we're not going to get to this final condemnation quite yet, but this week's passage deals with phase one of Jesus' trial before the leaders of the Jews, led by the high priest. And I love the creative title Pastor Jim gave this message. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, A Sentence in Search of a Crime. They led Jesus away, right after he'd been arrested, to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. That means the whole Sanhedrin was present. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. Now, just a little bit about Peter. He's going to occupy our time next week. But you can only imagine what was going through his mind as he sneaks into this gathering. He even had to talk his way in. He loved Jesus didn't want to leave him. He wanted to be with him. Yet he hadn't learned to handle his own pride and impetuosity. And, you know, remember, he'd promised he wasn't going to let Jesus die. He wasn't going to, he wasn't going to uh, abandon him. He, he would have been a lot smarter to stay away, but that's not Peter's style. So we'll see about him next time. But notice, Peter and the rest of the crowd was in this courtyard of the high priest, that's the, the center area with the various residences uh, surrounding. It was all part of the same complex. So the formal so-called trial gets started. It was illegal. I mean, not to mention immoral. Um, the, the whole thing that was going on was wrong. No trial, according to Jewish law, was allowed at night. No execution was ever allowed on a feast day or a holiday, like Passover. Um, And according to the laws of the Pharisees, no case that had the potential of involving capital punishment could begin even on the eve of a major holiday. 
add to that, Jesus has already been arrested by, uh, as a result of a bribe, and they had taken the money improperly from the temple treasury to pay off Judas. Also, a Jewish law did not permit a sentence to be pronounced until the day after the accused had been convicted. So you got a wrongly arrested guy, illegally arrested, with a, a kangaroo court going on, and from beginning to end, it does on in three hours on the day of a feast day. There's just about approximately every single thing wrong with that. But if you're going to break that many laws, it's no problem to bring in a few false witnesses. You see, it, it was a foregone conclusion. The whole purpose of this sham of a trial was to kill Jesus. That's what they were doing. It wasn't a trial. It was a murder. So let's look at these false witnesses. Verses 55 through 59. Now, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony. So what are they doing? These are the judges going out seeking testimony to say a certain thing. They are suborning perjury, if you want to use modern terms. They're looking for people to lie. They were trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put Him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against Him, but their testimony was not consistent. Some stood up and began to give false testimony against Him, saying, We heard Him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days I will build another made without hands. Not even in this respect was their testimony consistent. They just, they were having a real problem. Even the people that twisted what Jesus said couldn't make their twistums match up with each other. It was, had to be frustrating for them. So these insanely jealous, hypocritical, spiritual leaders just couldn't stand the fact Jesus had won over so many followers by His teaching. They were enraged that He had exposed their hypocrisy and challenged their authority in public, and now they're having trouble getting people to help them with murdering Him. The accusation that finally seemed to stick was that Jesus was a defamer of the temple. They conflated what He said in John 2.19, talking about destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. He was referring to His body. He was talking about His, his resurrection. He had mentioned the destruction of the temple. That was going to take place in A.D. 70. And they kind of mixed those two things together and, and, and changed the words uh, a little bit. And that's how they got the accusation that they said could stick. Close enough to validate for themselves what they'd already decided they wanted to do. The death sentence in search of a crime worthy of death. Truth meant nothing to those guys that night. Facts were irrelevant. Now, I would point out there is something that came up that night that's worthy of a death sentence. What is it? The witnesses should have been executed. If they had obeyed their own law, Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 19, if a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. 
The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. They were trying to kill Jesus, and they were lying, so what's supposed to happen to them? They are supposed to be. And by the way, I know that's in Deuteronomy. I know that's in the Old Testament. But I also know that God doesn't change. We aren't Israel. We don't take our cases before the judges. But I have seen in real life people tell lies about other believers and have exactly happened to them what they thought should have been happened to the one should have happened to the one that they lied about. This is serious stuff. Those who accuse Jesus of a capital crime, well, should have gotten capital punishment. The sentence in search of a crime, it's a foregone conclusion. There are the false witnesses. And that brings us to the punchline here, the fuming high priest, Caiaphas. Mark chapter 14, verses 60 and 61. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest was questioning him and saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Now, Jesus could have refuted the lies. I mean, he knew the truth, right? But he also knew that would make no difference, and he remained silent and therefore was the most dignified one of the whole, the whole crowd. He, he refrained from giving any hint of credibility to these proceedings. But his silence made Caiaphas mad. And so Caiaphas essentially put Jesus under oath. Matthew writing for the Jews gives more of the uh, little insights into Jewish law things. And we read over in Matthew 26, 63, how it was that Caiaphas, in essence, forced Jesus to be under oath. Matthew 26, uh, 63, at this point in Mark, didn't include these words. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. In other words, I'm under an oath of you'll be punished if you don't tell the truth. I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, that's interesting. I thought it was all about him saying he was going to destroy the temple. Now, all of a sudden, it's about what he taught and, and who he was. Now, if you're in a real courtroom with any integrity whatsoever, if somebody made such a quick total change of subject and charges, the defense would object on the grounds of logical and legal whiplash. He's just, he's just changing what they're, what they're talking about here. But this time, under oath, Jesus spoke simply the truth, and he rubbed it in by including words about the Messiah from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Mark 14, 62, Jesus said, I am. Oh, remember last time he said, I am? He could have knocked them all on their backsides again, but he's saying, yes, I am the Messiah. He said, I am, and, and you shall see the Son of Man. Here's the words from Daniel 7 that refer to the Messiah. You shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So what is his answer when, when, uh, uh, when Caiaphas says, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? His answer is, 
Well, yes, I am the Messiah, like I've been saying and showing you for over three years. Yes, I am the Son of God. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.